three and a half years, I was sitting in a seminary class, and Tom was also in the seminary class, and the professor was going around and saying, all right, tell us a little bit about yourselves, what church you work at, things like that, where you're from. And at that point, I hadn't been officially hired by Prairie View yet, but it was getting pretty close, and so I spoke up and I said, well, my name is Ben, I'm a youth minister in Batesville, Indiana, but I think I'm pretty close to landing this job in Fishers. Uh, these lunatics are thinking of hiring me to be their preacher. And uh, so I spoke that, and, you know, they went around and did other people. And, and then Tom, they got to Tom, and Tom said, well, my name's Tom Harrigan. I work at Indian Creek Christian Church. And I used to work at Prairie View Christian Church way back in the day. So I, of course, went to Tom and said, Tom, do I run? Like, do I withdraw myself from the running? Like, what do I do? And Tom ultimately said, no, you should go there. And here we are. So uh, we're very grateful for Tom. Again, Tom worked here uh, in the very early days of Prairie View Christian Church, uh, doing youth ministry and leading worship in the early 90s. Uh, so we're grateful for him. I know. Stop it. I was like a toddler. but uh, Stop it. Very grateful for his service to Prairie View in the past. Very grateful to his service at Indian Creek Christian Church on the south side of town right now. And with that, I'll turn that over to him and uh, let him preach for us. Awesome. So. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate that. It is good to be here. Um, I couldn't help, but as I was sitting in the front row listening uh, to you all worship, which I appreciate so much the worship in this place, and I appreciate so much uh, the team and the effort that they put in, um, just started to do a little bit of like stroll down memory lane a little bit. Um, to think that I've known some of you for almost half my life, which is really kind of frightening, and yet didn't know that Mark played the drums. I mean, that's pretty awesome. That's, that's pretty cool. Didn't know that, Mark. So I've known some of you for almost half my life, and um, it will probably um, make you feel really old to tell you that my son, who was born while we were here, uh, is just got his driver's license and is now driving all over Indianapolis, and my hair will turn gray very quickly now. Um, my daughter is 13, uh, and so we are definitely older uh, parents of two teenagers. But we are grateful to be here and grateful for the work of Prairie View Christian Church. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. You can pull out this little bulletin form. Um, obviously, you, you can make fun of me. I do bring an easel sometimes when I preach. But there's some stuff that you can write down that I'm going to write down. And I think it will be helpful for us. Colossians chapter 1, verse, beginning of verse 9. We're really going to focus our time this morning in three verses. 12, 13, and 14 of Colossians chapter 1. And let's, before we dive in, I want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to Christians in the town of Colossae, thus the name Colossians. And he's writing to them to encourage them, but also to warn them. You see, there is a heresy rising in the area of Colossae that Jesus is not supreme and that Jesus uh, is, is not the Son of God. There's this heresy arising up. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to, to encourage them to keep faithful in their walk, to stay faithful, but also to tell them about who Jesus really is and what Jesus has really done for them. So we're going to read uh, this, this context starting in verse 9. And just for your information, a little bit of trivia, we're about to read or spend some time in one of the longest run-on sentences in all of Scripture. 
Okay, we get a little bit of uh, grief as students when we were younger about run-on sentences without, you know, the periods in the proper place. Paul apparently didn't care about that because 218 words in total in this run-on sentence. And we're going to pull out just some, a few of those words and see how they apply to our lives today. So let's begin reading Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And we're going to really spend our time in verses 12 and following. Paul writes, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that... You may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. You might want to underline or highlight that verse. That is the main crux of what Paul is talking about right here. They would live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. Here's where we're going to begin to dive in, verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Giving joyful thanks to the Father. We're going to stop right there and examine what it means to be thankful to God. Recently, I read an article that said that the average person has about 50,000 thoughts in a single day. Okay, the average person. 50,000 thoughts in a day. And I read another article that says that 70 to 80% of our thoughts are negative. Negative thoughts. So let's put those two statistics together. 50,000 thoughts in a day, 70 to 80% of our thoughts negative. That means if you and I average 50,000 thoughts a day, 35 to 40,000 thoughts you and I will have a day are negative. That's a ton of negativity. And I believe because we are by nature selfish people that what happens is many of those negative thoughts are about ourselves and what we don't have or what we wish we had or how life could be or should be different in our minds. 35 to 40,000 negative thoughts a day, many of which are probably about ourselves. And so the question that comes to my mind as I begin to read this text is, how do you and I live a life worthy of the Lord to please him in every way if so many of our thoughts are negative? Well, it's no wonder the Apostle Paul tells them to be thankful for their lives. I did a little exercise when I was first studying this text, and I uh, spent some time. I wanted to see if having a thankful heart would change my attitude and my behavior. So I sat down at my desk in my office, and I pulled out a notebook, and I pulled out a pen, and I began to write down all the things that I'm thankful for. I wrote God, and I wrote all the things that I'm thankful for about God, that he is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and yet wants a relationship with me and with you. Then I wrote down Jesus and all the things that I'm thankful for. And then I wrote down the Holy Spirit and all the things that I'm thankful for. And then I moved on to my family and my friends. And I wrote down all all of those names. And then I wrote down the material blessings that I'm thankful for. And and I wrote down um, just abilities and gifts that I'm thankful for. And over an hour later, I put down my pen with a very sore hand, but a very, very thankful heart. 
You and I have a ton to be thankful for. Just listen to some of these statistics. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness currently in your life, you are more blessed than the one million people who will not survive this week. If you have never experienced the danger of war or the loneliness of imprisonment or the agony of torture or the pangs of starvation, you are better off than 500 million people in the world right now. If you can attend a church service like we all are doing right now, Without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than 3 billion people in the world right now. If you have food in the refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof overhead, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the people in the world. Now, I would highly recommend you take some time, maybe this week, to sit down and write a list of all the things you're thankful for. Because I do believe that it changes our thoughts and our actions. But the reality is, when I was writing down all those things that I'm thankful for, I really could have stopped after God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit and had more than enough to be incredibly and eternally thankful. And I think, quite honestly, if I'm just being honest with you, we could all stand to do a better job in the thankfulness department of our lives, couldn't we? I mean, the fact of the matter is some of us complain a lot. (laughs) And some of us are pretty negative all the time. And we get way bent out of shape over way unimportant things a lot. And the Apostle Paul is telling us to be thankful. But listen, even if we were to make a list of all the things that we're thankful for, And all the blessings that we have, those things by themselves do not orient our minds and our hearts to the person or the reason that we have to be thankful. You can be thankful for your family and thankful for your gifts and thankful for your possessions and still not be thankful to God providing you for those things. Which is why the Apostle Paul spells out in the rest of these verses what we have to be thankful for. Beginning in verse 12 again. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. So I want to just write these things down. I encourage you to do the same. We want to be thankful to God of first and foremost. That's the foundation for which everything else is going to be built. Thankfulness. To God. And the first thing we just read that we could be thankful for is that God qualified us. Qualified us. Now, what does it mean to be qualified for something? To be qualified means to be made sufficient or to to be authorized to participate in an activity or event. To be qualified, to be invited to participate in something. Now, that word qualified has special meaning in our home the last few months. As my wife and I have watched and cheered on our children as they've attempted to qualify themselves for certain activities. Josh and his uh, show choir, his concert choir, they just received uh, runner-up in the state and state champions for two different competing events. They qualified for runner-up and state champs. 
in, in two different activities. My daughter qualified herself to compete in divisional swimming. She's like a ridiculous swimmer, uh, and she qualified herself to compete in those things. And we know what it means to qualify for something. We know what it means to, to qualify for uh, a job or to qualify for um, uh, a home loan or to qualify uh, for uh, AARP, um, right? Now, come on. Don't, come on now. Listen, I, I'm not, I'm, don't be a hater. I'm just be, speaking the truth. We know what it means to qualify for something. We know what it means to earn our way to a degree or to a job or to a grade or to a sport. But unfortunately, many of us, unfortunately, many of us also know what it means to be disqualified for something. To, told, to be told we're not invited to participate in an activity or event. That we're not good enough. But in almost every instance that people are qualified for something, they have to earn their way to be qualified. They have to work really hard. But interestingly, that's not what the Apostle Paul says about this word in verse 12. Because he says, that giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. You see, God's done the work to qualify you and I to stand before a holy God. No amount of effort on our own, no amount of church attendance, no amount of giving into uh, the church offering, or no amount of service, no amount of kind words could ever qualify us to stand before a holy God. That's not how it works. God knew that we needed help. And so long before we were born, he put the plans into motion by which you and I could be qualified But he also tells us exactly what we're qualified for in the rest of verse 12. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That you and I get to share in this thing called the inheritance of the kingdom of God. That by no work or effort on our own, we get to share in the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And oftentimes, when we hear about the kingdom of God, we think about heaven, right? I mean, we think about getting to spend eternity in heaven. That's certainly a part of the deal. But the reality is, you and I get to, get to share in that kingdom right now. For Jesus taught his disciples to preach in the early chapters of Matthew. He said uh, to to, to pray, excuse me, he, he taught them to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? And what's the next part? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you hear that? That you and I are invited to share in the inheritance of God's kingdom being brought to earth by how we live, by how we share the gospel, by how we bring people into the kingdom of God by his grace. That we get to share in that now. That's what he's qualified us for. Now we need to keep reading because Paul's not done giving us reasons to be thankful. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light for... Verse 13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness 
and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. The next thing we can be thankful for is that God has rescued us. I love the word picture that that word tells us. It literally means to be drawn out of a bad place, to be rescued, to be drawn to one's self. That's what that word means. It reminds me of when I was really young and my younger sister and I were out in the backyard getting ready to go swimming in our pool. And my dad was getting us both ready, getting the water wings on and all that stuff on me. And and my sister was right by the edge of the pool and she slipped and fell in. And you could just watch her eyes. I'll never forget her eyes going under the water, really big, really open, like what's going on? Because she's like one year old. And the pool's four feet deep, and she went straight down. But my dad instantly reached down and grabbed her by the swimsuit and pulled her out of the water. He rescued her. And that's the picture we have of what God has done for us. That God reached down and rescued us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Now, many of us might ask the question, what is the dominion of darkness? When we think of the dominion of darkness, we might think of a really bad part of town. Okay, I get to tutor every Thursday at IPS 15 downtown Indianapolis. And within a three-block area of this little elementary school, there is a murder or a rape or a robbery almost every day. I mean, it is a bad, bad place of town. We think of those places as dominion of darknesses. I got to go visit uh, an inmate at the Miami Correctional Facility just north of Kokomo. And we might think of a maximum security prison. As a dominion of darkness. But the reality is the definition of dominion of darkness is the place where evil lives. It's a place where rage and lust and envy and greed and pride rule hearts and minds. It's a place where people pursue status and power and wealth and are never satisfied. That's the dominion of darkness. And that might surprise us because we would never think, wait, my life, my heart, A dominion of darkness? Well, the truth of the matter is, whenever I turn to things other than God, who is light, and I turn to dark things to find value or worth or status or fulfillment, I am living, I am turning, I am dwelling in the dominion of darkness. And God wants to rescue me, rescue you out of that, and bring us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And that word brought that we read in verse 13, it's literally the word, uh, the, the definition of when someone is living in a country that is very hostile and they are carried out of that country and brought to another country and granted immediate citizenship in that country. That's the word picture we get of the word brought. That God has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness and carried us into his kingdom where we get to be sons and daughters of the king. But we're not done because Paul has one more thing that he wants to tell us about why we should be incredibly and eternally thankful. Verse 14. In whom, in the son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are qualified. We are rescued and we are redeemed. 
1974, two Argentinian brothers were held captive. They were captured and kidnapped and held captive for 60 days until the largest ransom to date was paid. $60 million paid for the return of these two Argentinian brothers. They were redeemed from captivity. That word literally means the complete release of someone based on the payment of a price. So in John chapter 19, when we see Jesus hanging on the cross, and with his last breath, he says, it is finished. This is what he's talking about. That you and I, as followers of God, have been 100% qualified, 100% rescued, and 100% redeemed. It is finished. The, the sin that we have in our lives is no longer a barrier to God. That we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, as Hebrews tells us. That we can be in relationship with the king and be called sons and daughters of God. My friends, are you thankful for that? And yet many of us would believe this to be true about ourselves, but we have a hard time living as though this were true. Now, some of us have a hard time living like it's true because we call ourselves followers of God, but we still play around a lot in the dominion of darkness, right? I mean, that's a, that's a whole other message, okay? If that describes you or if that convicts you at all, then I would encourage you to take out your Bible and read Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. That is a, that is a message for you about what it looks like to call yourself a follower of God and then like not want to live like that at all. That's a whole other message. But I think most of us, most of us have difficulty believing this is true because we somehow believe that how well we live our lives determines whether we are qualified, rescued, and redeemed. That God has made the effort to forgive us, and yet if we somehow struggle in any way, shape, or form, that it changes whether this is true. I, I read in a book, it may have been one of the classes that we took together. Did you take the grace class with uh Okay. So Ben has this book. You can borrow it from Ben. It's a fantastic book. It's like this 400-page book on grace. It's fantastic. But there is a – it really is good. But there is a graph on page like 56 that when I read this graph, it completely blew my mind. Okay? Because it totally describes what it looks like for a follower of God to walk as a child of the king. Okay? I'm going to use my own life to uh, – can everyone see this? I'm doing my best. Can you guys see this over there? Okay. So I'm going to use my own life as an example. Okay, this bottom line represents time, and this sideline of the graph represents how much grace God offers. Okay, you following me? Yes? No? Nod your heads. Are you with me? Staying awake? Okay, good. All right, so when I was 12 years old, I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I knew I had sin in my life, and that was a problem I could not fix. Now, you might think to yourself, well, what kind of a, a, a 12, what would it what is a 12-year-old sin? I mean, how, how, how much sin can a 12-year-old have? And the answer is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what my sin was because my 12-year-old sin and my 43-year-old sin and my eventual 80-year-old sin are all the same. Sin is sin. God doesn't have a grading scale. My sin, your sin separates us from God. I knew I had a problem that I could not solve. And so I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, 
I was 100% forgiven of my sin, past, present, and future. It was done. That's what Jesus said. The Bible says those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's what scripture tells us. That if you have surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you are 100% qualified, you are 100% rescued, you are 100% redeemed, it is finished. But something else happened in the moment I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, I had a Savior then, but I also had a King. He's my Savior and Lord. You can't have one without the other. We like the Savior. Lord, eh, I'm not so sure. You see, we like to be king. We like to build our own kingdoms. I like to build mine. I like to be the king, the one in charge, but the reality is I can't forgive sin. I can't create the world. I can't offer grace. I can't offer eternal life. I want to act like I'm king. You want to act like king, but we're not king. God is king. So at the moment of my surrender, I began a spiritual journey in growing closer to God. This journey began where I learned to live as a child of the king. And here's where we get messed up in our thinking. Because we somehow think that if we sin somewhere along the way, we say something we shouldn't say, we do something we shouldn't do, that it somehow affects our forgiveness level with God. Well, I did this wrong. God must only forgive me now 75%. So, uh uh-oh, I better do something to earn my way back to God. Oh, I I better go to church this next week so God loves me again. Oh, I better read my Bible. Oh, I better do these things. This is how we live. Am I crazy or is this this, this how we think? All right? So we somehow think that we better earn our way back to God, and that is not true. You know what happens when I sin? My forgiveness level isn't affected. My spiritual growth is. My effectiveness as a follower of God, my effectiveness as a, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a friend is affected. My ability to hear from the Lord. My ability to act as a child of the king is affected. And so I, I, I stumble along the way and God picks me up and I go again. And the next time I sin and fall short, my forgiveness level isn't affected. It's done, Jesus said. Past, present, future. But you know what's affected? My spiritual growth is. And my whole life, your whole life is a journey. Learning to surrender to the king. Which is why I love the fact that your mission statement and your vision statement are not finished statements. That you are maturing and multiplying. That you are teaching and living and loving and equipping and sharing. It is an ongoing journey. Even though we are, if you are a follower of God like me, right now, 100% forgiven, qualified, rescued and redeemed. That part's done. So what would it look like if you lived your life? And I lived my life as if these things were true. As if these things were true. Because they are. If you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you've given God your heart. What would it look like for this place 
What would this church look like if we lived in the confidence that we are qualified, rescued, and redeemed? And that when we stumble along the way, which is normal, which is a part of the growing process, that God is there to pick us up and dust us off so we can grow more. We would never, when a young child begins to walk, I never did when my, when my kids started to walk, when Josh was uh, in, I believe we were in the rented building, because I, I, I was here when we had the, the school, and then we were at rented building. When Josh started running through the hallways of that rented building, and he tripped and fell, I never went, oh, gosh, you're an idiot. I can't believe you fell down like that. What is the matter with you? And yet many of us think that that's what God does with us. That we've lived our lives for so long as followers of God that when we stumble and fall, we picture God going, Oh, for Pete's sake, would you get it right already? You know the expression that you have on your face, if you're a parent, the expression that I have on my face when I watch my son sing in show choir or play, he plays in the band with us, or I watch my daughter swim, or the expression I have on my face is just this, I'm so proud Right? And I'm so grateful. What would it look like if you believed that that was God's expression on his face when he looked at you? Would it change how you lived as a follower of the king? Because that's how he looks at you. That's how he looks at you. What would it look like for us as as a community of believers? The great thing about sharing in the inheritance of the kingdom of God is that I am not in this journey alone. You are not in this journey alone. You have one another, and more importantly, you have the king who reigns supreme and wants to give you everything that you need to live a life worthy of him and to please him in every way. And so really, I want to spend just the last few minutes just talking to two specific groups of people right now, okay? First, if you have surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if you have been united with Christ in baptism, if you have said yes to the invitation to Jesus as Savior and Lord, my prayer for you, my sincere prayer for you, is that you would live as if this were true. One of my favorite verses I, I just stumbled upon, I've read the scripture several times, but Philippians chapter 3.16, write this down, write that scripture down, Philippians 3.16, it's another one of the famous 3.16s in, in the New Testament, and it simply says this, only let us live up to what we have already attained. The Apostle Paul is writing to believers, and he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. If you're a follower of God, what have you and I already attained? qualification, 100% rescued, 100% redeemed. That's what we've already attained. And so my prayer for you is that as followers of God, that when you stumble along the way, that you would know that those are just, those are natural growing pains. And that God is not standing there with his arms crossed, looking at you going, what an idiot. He's going, all right, come on. I know. The world, the world offers really cool stuff. I know. Come back to me. Don't, don't play around in darkness. Come to the light. 
the well that never runs dry. We, we run around in this cul-de-sac of stupidity trying to find value and worth. All right, I think I've mentioned that phrase here once before. You know, we, we try something that we think is going to bring us value and fulfillment and it doesn't satisfy. And we think, oh, maybe more of what didn't satisfy might eventually satisfy. It's the cul-de-sac of stupidity. And we try and we try. And it doesn't bring value. Only Jesus and a relationship with him does. So my prayer for you is that you would stay faithful. Perfect? No way. Faithful. Have I been perfect? No. But my goal is to be faithful. Not long ago, my wife went to uh, a funeral of one of her uh, grandmother-in-law. Long story, but um, she was 90 years old. Follower of God for 50 years. Was she perfect? No. Was she faithful? Yes. And so we can celebrate at her funeral that her last breath on this earth is her first breath with her father in heaven. Recently we had a young girl at the creek, uh, 12 years old, um, succumb to cancer. Her journey was way too short. But we know, was she perfect? No. Was she faithful? Yes. She had incredible faith in God to the very end. And so we know that her last breath on this earth was her first breath with her father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you is that you would stay faithful. Stay faithful. If you are here this morning and you have yet to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if you have yet to say yes to God's invitation to the kingdom, then I must in all loving honesty, say that right now you stand unqualified to be before God. Your sin separates you right now from God. And that is not a problem that you can fix on your own. God made a way. And the great thing is, no matter where you've been in your journey, no matter where you are right now, God wants to rescue you, draw you to himself, and carry you into the kingdom of the son that he loves, Jesus. That every single one of us are invited. The question is, will we say yes to the invitation and trust and taste and see that God is good? We are or can be 100% qualified. We are or can be 100% rescued. We are or can be 100% redeemed. And that, my friends, is something we can be incredibly and eternally thankful for. Let's pray together. God, I'm grateful, so grateful, so grateful for your love for us. God, I'm grateful for the way that you have made plans to rescue, to restore, to qualify us through Jesus. God, I'm grateful that you have called us as a people to follow you, to surrender our lives, to learn what it means every day to take another step as a child of the king. God, teach us what it means to live as saved people. Teach us what it means to live as children of the king. God, teach us to trust you, to know that you love us, to know that your grace is sufficient when we fail. God, help us to hold on to you and to live lives differently, knowing that you love us. 
God, thank you that we are qualified, rescued, and redeemed, not by any work of our own, but only through the blood of Jesus. We pray in his name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.